to The Lit Review, a podcast sparked by a moment of urgency, recognizing mass political education as key for our liberation struggles. Every week, your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad, will chat with people we love and respect about relevant books for the movement. Everything from history to theories around gender to sci-fi and beyond. We know that political study is not accessible for a variety of reasons. The high cost of books, academic jargon, the failures of our underfunded school systems, time barriers, and more. Our hope is that this podcast helps address some of those issues, making critical knowledge more accessible to the masses. Think SparkNotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Monica Trinidad. Thank you for listening. Hello, hello. This is Paige with another episode of The Lit Review. Our guest today is Charles. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm fairly well on this very, very hot day. This is very true. I was outside all morning and I'm gross and have dirt on me from the garden. It's not cute. Um, can you start off by telling us who you are, what you do, and why? Um, I'm Charles Preston, activist from Chicago's South Side. Uh, I do Church on the Nine, which is a street open mic that's about to begin next Sunday, I believe. Yeah, next Sunday. I'm asking myself like I don't know. <laughs> but uh, next Sunday... Um, I've been involved with uh, a lot of the Chicago organizing efforts. I was a former member of BYP, um, did work with BLM. You know, I'm just moving throughout spaces, um, trying to help wherever I can and, and amplifying people um, and causes. That's about it. And what's Nothing really special. Oh, I did say the Save CSU campaign, too. I think True. I should mm-hmm. highlight that. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and what's the, the book you're going to be talking about today? This is Black is a Country. Black is a Country. Um, that's not the race and unfinished struggle for democracy. Excellent. And um, by Nikhil Powell Singh. What led you to, to read this book? Um, I first encountered this book um, taking a class at CSU. It was a black studies class. I believe it was on um, African-American leadership in the 20th 21st century and my professor assigned this book so really I, it was a sign reading like mm-hmm. but then I started reading this book and I'm like oh shit like he the author is like spitting bars and it's like he's giving like an analysis like I didn't have and information like I didn't know about and I just thought like this is a very very informational book and and we can take a lot from it it's I think it's required reading for black activists what's it about um, it's essentially about, let me see if I can boil it down, um, reimagining like, um, or, or just questioning democracy, um, and American democracy, uh, using a, a, a racialized lens. Um, what he does is he presents like this history of, of, of movements starting from, um, the civil rights uh, most people start the civil rights movement from like 1955. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts in the 1930s uh, because this is uh, in the midst of the, like after the Great Depression, World War One. Um, he notices uh, a surge of black intelligentsia, and that this in this period of time is where we have like a vast repertoire of like uh, like civic engagement um, in terms of. Um, protests, marches, riots. Uh, you had a lot of black writers emerging. Um, 
and, and a lot of organizing being done, um, especially around uh, FDR and the New Deal. Um, so yeah, he get, he goes through like a it's, it's five chapters. Um, one chapter one is rethinking race in the nation. Two, reconstructing democracy. Three, internationalizing freedom. Freedom. Four, Americanizing the Negro. And five, decolonizing America. And so these are like dense chapters. So you know, I, I advise people to have their dictionaries out because um, he has every form of ism. <laughs> in this imperialism, neo neoliberalism, liberalism, um, so, uh, but but it's also very informative in terms of like it's uh, historical, you know, documentation and just uh, analysis. Like um, he leans heavily on uh, W. E. B. Du Bois's work and um, his Marxism and um, looking at our movements and and how we basically are trying to. I don't want to say achieve the American dream, but how we're trying to be incorporated into like the American narrative. Um, he questions that like method or, or that lens or that viewpoint like on, he, he questions that, like should we be even trying to do that? Mm -hmm. um, what are America's values that we need to like continue to like protest and fight for to be included in it? And so he goes, he harkens back to like W.E.B. Du Bois and how Du Bois calls for like a black public sphere, which which is basically, um, you know, black discourse um, between black people. Um, we don't have conversations separate of America. We always are having conversations in their eye or having conversations um, pertaining to us being included in, in an American narrative. And um he touches on that, but he touches on a lot of things. Uh, off top, I say where the book falls short is um, no gender analysis. Uh, no, like he barely mentions women, like aside from like saying um, Ella Baker, he mentions her like in a sentence. And, you know, typical mm -hmm. <laughs> male yeah, read, you feel me? So <laughs> it's, it's typical. So I say gender analysis, sexual analysis, it's, it's, it's not there. And, um, if it was, it would have been like top notch reading. So, what does he? What's the title mean? Black is a country, um, and how does that relate to the civil rights movement, where we're, we're black folk or, or African Americans, right? We're trying to be integrated into the U.S. Well, um, I think it's a call for like a. It it, it kind of encompasses everything he's saying in the book in terms of like um, looking at America as a country. And black people not being fully, you know, incorporated in this country, and then asking, asking the question: Should we be a part of this country and its values and whatever they oppose and and in regards is true? And um, developing, like questioning that, and then he has this part where he talks about nation and how Du Bois um, didn't talk about blacks having a nation in like a literal sense but more so in the abstract and um nation as 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 a means of a of a, like a black intelligentsia like a radical politic that we're operating off of um so i think when he says like black is a country i i, I think of you know just like some shit that's for us by us mm -hmm. more of like a thought in um something in the abstract, not necessarily in, like in the literal. But it also goes back to like how he thinks about uh, international 
how black how the black political is is transnational um in this he gives um critiques from um ralph i want to say ralph ellison and richard wright about you know how blacks were facing you know oppression abroad and he mentions paul robinson and his connections to like um communism and robinson and uh you know russia and how he was more received and like well received in russia he comes back to america and he's treated like scum of the earth um so yeah the the it's it's it's, it's it, i think it's a great read um there's there's this point where he talks about american universalism and um exceptionalism and um he says that uh well we know america has this it's, it's, it's really high on itself it takes uh like Thomas Paine says of America that it's, it's an asylum for humankind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and Jefferson and Madison and these uh, forefathers of our nation, how they would pin all this, all these things in abstract about America, just making it seem like an, a utopia of sorts. Um, and he talks about how our movements, um, and just by virtue of us being in America, um, when we fight for our rights and shit, like we try, we're kind of subscribing and validating that narrative in which we are fighting for. Um, one example he uses is like Jacob Lawrence's, who's a, a brilliant, a famed Harlem artist uh, who emerged from like a, this New Deal arts program. Um, but he has this narrative series called Struggle with an ellipsis after it. And so he he frames this series, the series is of like different times in our movement in which you see black people struggling for freedom in America. But he frames it as an American experience instead of a black experience. Mm -hmm. And so Singh says, this is, this could be problematic because we are giving like validation um, to American values and they have never really fully valued you know, black people and um, other people as well, but primarily black people. And that, um, what else he says? He says, when you, when we categorize, when we like, I guess even acknowledge the fact that, or not the fact, but acknowledge our experiences as an American experience, it kind of minimizes uh, the shit we've been through, through America. And so, um, someone looking at a Jacob Lawrence painting and, and seeing like, you know, black women on the bus or something. They're not taking in like, yo, it's fucked up that these black women on the bus mm -hmm. and fuck America for having a, they're thinking of like, oh, this is freedom. This is our struggle. This is what we're fighting for. And so uh, this, that's like a, a central theme in, in this um, book. It's the fact that uh, you have America universalism and exceptional and exceptionalism. What does that mean um, to us, and how does that play a part in our politics and, and going forward and moving about in our movements? And it's something I think about today, um, especially with uh, you know the Black Lives Matter movement and just you know the things that we're calling for, like equality and, and representation. You know, what does it mean to be represented in a imperialistic you know war machine? Uh, and it's, you know, something that I think Singh would suggest that we unpack with black people.
if if everyone like all black people read this book or like could download this book into their brain what wh- how do you think the movement might change immediately like what would be some immediate shifts that you oh, might shit. see uh we would definitely i think make a more of a attempt to internet inter- internationalize our struggle we'll make more uh an attempt to um organize like <laughs> that would be the primary thing like he mentions he mentioned so many people in this book. Like he, he talked about the boys and Marcus Garvey and Booker T. Washington, and as you all know, like the boys and Mar- uh, Booker T. Washington were at odds, and the boys and Marcus Garvey was at odds. But one thing, well, two things, um, the boys and Marcus Garvey agreed on is that black people need to be organized, and that our struggle is international. And I think if black people downloaded this book today, like that would be the first thing. Um, That'll, that'll happen. Like, we have to acknowledge that um, that we are in America and there are black people abroad still under America's oppression, under America's, like, political and, and militaristic arm. It, it does a good job of, like, talking about a history that is relatively not talked about. Um, I don't think a lot of people discuss like the 1930s, 40s, and 50s for black people, especially in terms of uh, the like radical left and um, their contributions. Um, names like Richard Wright and Ralph Ellison aren't raised enough, especially when they were like critiquing like FDR, who many like of our white allies would call like the best president ever. He did the New Deal. He got these programs. Yeah, was racist. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all don't know. That, yeah, that not only was he was racist, okay. but, you know, he's anti-communist. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, this book raises the question, like, what does it mean to be in a democracy where we can't even talk about communism? Um, and, and people who are, like, full-blown-out communists are persecuted, especially, like, black communists. And, yeah, it, it's a lot of history to, like, you know, deal with. And he talks about... Um, how war is a mobilizing force, not just for like, you know, those involved in it, but those watching from afar. Um, For instance, uh, he mentioned the Italian invasion of Ethiopia in 1935 and how black people here were protesting over it, Um, which I didn't really even know. Like, I didn't know like we were paying attention to Ethiopia like that. because it's something not talk about, but how after World War One and World War Two, especially after World War One, a lot of black people came back, you know, disillusioned, you know, by society. Um, a lot of folks thought that you know our participation in the war, black participation in the war, will augment like our uh, our rights as citizens, and we will be more freer, and and be able to not experience the racism that we that that we did, um, especially considering like all the riots that were taking place during that time. Um, But out of that, out of that anger and madness comes a lot of great black literature and a a lot of critique and critical theory and folks organizing um, for better because they know, like once you know, like you can't depend on America and that America is like full of shit. Like that's mm-hmm. when you start organizing. I believe that's a testament to like even black activists today. Like once we saw, um, a lot of us saw like what happened to Trayvon Martin 
and like what happened to Mike Brown and we have a sitting black president and we're in cities like Ferguson, Charlotte, um, Chicago, Baltimore. We're in cities where we have black politicians and a black Democrat politicians that basically like run the city and they're not speaking to our issues and representing us appropriately. Then we got to begin the question like, hey, what the fuck is going on? And they can't tell you <laughs> what's going on. Um, if your parents aren't used to this black freedom struggle and weren't radicalized and, and participating, they really can't tell you what's going on. And so you look to your peers and you look to the people around you. And that's I believe that's how movements, well, some movements start. It's the fact that, you know, people are just tired of shit <laughs> yeah. and they need an explanation for it. And they don't have the words to um, verbalize what is happening. And so uh, they always come back to, to radical politics. And unfortunately for us, we, we had the footprints of, you know, radicals before us, like the Black Panthers, which he mentions also. And, and um, you know, others to uh, start doing this work or continuing this work. So. That's what I was thinking about as you were talking is, so, so the way I'm understanding it is he's sort of critiquing I, I'm hearing a critique of the civil rights movement and it's fighting for rights within a system, right? It's fighting for the rights to be treated a certain way as a citizen of America, yeah. but not recognizing being a citizen of America inherently is violent, right? Right. And so... It's not so much of a critique of the civil rights movement, mm. um, but it does offer like the radical side of it. Like he's, uh, oh, he's, he's, not, he's not saying like, you know... Fuck them, they didn't get it right. He was saying, like, you know, this is also included in the 1930s. We have, like, this budding radical inte intelligentsia. <laughs> um, so, and, like, what's been remembered and what is put in history books and, like, shoved down our throats, that version of, like, you know, you just yeah. need a leader who does a speech, who talks about, I have a dream of a better America, right? Like, right. that's that's not what was actually happening. That's not what made it powerful. Right. Okay. That's not what made it powerful. Okay. So, he, he always, he, he's mentioning the left constantly. In um, in this movement and how it influenced, like people don't give the leftist credit. Like uh, he, he he was talking about the boys and how the boys once he once he got done reading Marx, he wrote the seminal work, you know, Black Reconstruction. Um, and then um, yeah, once he, once exactly he got done reading Marx, he was like, damn, I'm, the Negroes are the proletariat, yeah. which angered a lot of people. Like. Um, <laughs> And the more radical uh, the boys came, became, you know, it, it angered like a lot of black folks, especially like the NAACP, which mm -hmm. he was a part of and helped, I believe, found. Um, and there's like critiques of the NAACP in this book too. Uh, he talked. He talks about uh, there was a guy named Walter White who was the chairman of the NAACP, and uh, Walter White he went to a college campus, and he. Uh, He's asking students about the war, World War II. And one student, Southern black student, says, you know, I hope Hitler wins because Hitlerism cannot be worse than what blacks are experiencing here in America. He's like, we've been lynched. We've been disenfranchised. You have Jim Crow. Um, everywhere we turn, we're like being criminalized and persecuted. And so Walter White told he went back to Chicago with this story, I believe. He went back to Chicago and told, like, uh, 
like an auditorium, uh, auditorial, uh, uh, auditorium full of guests, uh, black people about this conversation. And like midway through it, they started applauding as to like giving like credence to like what the uh, the guy the, co- the guy in college was saying down south, and it shocked him because um, he wanted to like call his view short sighted. Like um, it's it's bigger than you shouldn't say like Hitler. Um, you you should want Hitler to win. You know, blacks are oppressed over there too and like all of this other stuff. But he critiques that to say that so uh, our leaders, especially um, the respectable leaders, usually try to like um, interpret how we feel about certain issues, especially like those who are um, angry. Um, uh, A black person saying, you know, I wish Hitler won (laughs) shows how angry um, we were in that time period, but you have our leaders and our supposed of like people who fight for us still trying to interpret that for us. And he was trying to interpret it into a, a point in which um, that gives a credence to American values. Like we should be, you know, championing on America. It's still that like that type conundrum. Like we don't want Hillary to win, but fuck America still. <laughs> like like. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I just, I just think it, it's important in acknowledging that, um, there, there's always been angry black people in this country. Um, and there's always been people who, who tried to like interpret that and, and try to create an entirely different narrative and not actually like saying, yo, you had the right to be angry. This experience is valid. Here's what I feel can we have a discourse instead of me telling you how you should feel about things? And you can find parallels of that today um, within the movement and outside of it, uh, where you have like organizations where members are angry and leaders will be like, yo, that's not cool to say, this is how we should say it. Instead of having a discourse as to why people feel a certain way. And, you know, it, it goes all back to like, a the boy is calling for like more of a public sphere, uh, a, a black sphere. I mean, in which we have this discourse and and, and talking amongst each other, um, and that's something that's really lacking. Just conversation in general amongst black activists and the black intelligentsia, the intellectuals of the moment. Um, you, instead, we see like, I guess, bubbles. Um, yeah. Like we should be really like, especially with all the fucking technology we have today. Like we should be in conversation with the people who started like the Feeds Must Fall, you know, in conversation with all types of different people, and really building some transnational shit. Um, especially if we all can identify and have the like the language. We we got the language now. You have people using these buzzwords more than ever. Like people know what neoliberalism is. People know what the fuck intersectional politics are so let's let's get down to it and actually like before we organize have conversations mm-hmm. um and so that's that's the main takeaway i get from this book is the fact that um i'm not doing enough <laughs> um and so i did write some notes mm-hmm. um he has this uh he talks about accommodation versus inclusion um what's the difference between being inclu- included in a american narrative 
and being accommodated. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not fully included, but we have concessions and there are accommodations because we're still, you know. Um, the reshaping of uh, America race, uh, uh, the race in America, um, how black people and what it means, whiteness and, and, and blackness is constantly going through a reshaping um, due to laws, policy, um, and shit that just happens, um, wars and shit. Um, it means like blackness today, we can't say blackness today is the same as it was um, during the inception of this country. Mm-hmm. And whiteness isn't either. Um, to be white was like an, um, you had an attribution to like property. Um, it's like was well, the cornerstone of the, like the social contract and the market contract in this country. Um, and then you can still say it is, uh, but just thinking about how, how America and, and, and policy reshapes race and how we look at race. Um, and another example of that would be like, you know, the different types of white people and how they were like, you know, you had your Irish, your Portuguese and people coming into it and how they weren't considered white yet until we had found a fucking commonality. Like, hey, we hate black people. So, <laughs> right. Um, he talks about the enduring um, black presence and how uh, you have white leaders. Abraham Lincoln fucking didn't want black people here, uh, but they had to make accommodations um, because black people weren't going anywhere. Um, <laughs> and so uh, that changed what it means to be black in their eyes as well. Um, and also he, he makes the argument that post-Civil War, Blackness was looked at upon, was looked upon more as an enemy rather than before the Civil War. Um, because post Civil War, you had the lynchings mm-hmm. and this surge of like white nationalistic violence in the KKK. Not to say like um, we weren't looked at. In, I don't know, like like it, it's hard to think because I, I I get I think I get the point he was making because. As we were enslaved, we were mainly like property right. and like, like, not giving a fuck about cattle livestock. But then, as soon as like post Civil War came about, and then you had also blacks, you know, turning away from their plantations and a surge of like slave insurrections, and a lot of people considered the Civil War as a one of the greatest slave insurrections. Uh, we would look at enemies and framed as enemies and you had this surge of narratives of like black men and white women and mm-hmm. lynchings and all that and so that reshapings race again because not now we're not probably not just livestock and looked upon as property but as the fucking enemy <laughs> like criminals yeah 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 he's talked about the democratic social movements and racial hierarchies within that um like unions and, and and how we had to fight uh, for representation and, and for for inclusion within those cause um, the um, American effective ethnicity because it's it, we all know like it's a nationality but America 
Americans, white Americans treated as like an ethnicity of sorts, like to be American. Um, and they attach like, uh, he gives this example of Ralph Bunch, who was known as like um, a big funder of like a lot of the civil rights movement. He's a white guy. But he goes to Fisk University, which is a black university, and he tells them in like a keynote or like a graduating speech that the Negro, um, the Negro that graduates from Fisk University is more American than he is Negro. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> exactly. So it, showing like, you know, the whole... Like now you all are going to assimilate mm -hmm. into becoming American. Like you all have made it into like the American and, you know, treating it as like a better ethnicity. But it, we know it's a fictive ethnicity built upon like, um, you know, the bullshit they spout about the greatness and exceptionalism of America. So, um, yeah, so it's a dense book. It's a lot to cover. <laughs> is, is he anti-democracy? Um, I wouldn't say, I would say he's anti-American uh, democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, and that black people haven't quite figured out what democracy is for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't had that discussion, that continuous discussion for ourselves. Like, what does it, what does democracy mean for us in a democracy built by us? Um, what we see in terms, and I'm speaking in general, um, what we speak in, in terms of, what we see in terms of the democracy is what America gives us, and we use that as like sometimes as sometimes like the driving force of what we want to see, and that's a it's, it's a horrible contradiction to be oppressed by a country and told what democracy is by a country, and then operating with that for your liberation and say, oh, this is democracy. Maybe it's not what it says what America is. So that's a, that's why. I, we need more conversation about it um, and more people saying like, you know, fuck American democracy. Um, and so he has a chapter called Reconstructing Democracy um, in which he talks about a lot of uh, self-determination and cultural democracy. Um, Can you, what, self-determination is something I've been thinking a lot about. Can you kind of talk about what you think, what that means to you? Coming up, like especially uh, into like my 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 learnings about race and, and black people. When I hear self determination, I automatically think like for us by us. I think it's difficult for people to give like a general, like cohesive vision of like what does black self determination look like like something tangible because I think we really don't know yeah. <laughs> to be honest but what I take in like daily as self-determination is me questioning or, or trying not to operate on this Americanized ideals and standards that's not to say it's mainly me deciding for myself um, what is best for me but also uh, in consideration, uh, having like the consideration of like a, a larger lens and not just not thinking about myself, but about the position of black people in this country as well. And it's like a constant like conversation between um, 
how am I um, how am I putting out the radical Charles I want to see and how is that influencing black people as a whole because um, I believe through the radical politics I espouse or, or like the radical politics that I follow I'm, I'm thinking that um, it contributes to like black self-determination people people have like a lot of deals and I think it's one of those terms that that we don't talk enough about you know self what does self-determination mean it usually just means a garden which is <laughs> fine I'm not opposed to gardening I was gardening all day but there it's bigger than that and I don't know what it means in the concept of an international struggle yeah right? what is self-determination when like I don't know I, I feel uncomfortable with the idea of like so let's go back to Africa like yeah, you know like yeah, what yeah, but yeah, like everywhere yeah. we are it feels like we're on stolen land it's, it's just yeah yeah mm -hmm. and so and that's Cause, cause when we talk about like like capitalism, like and, and black people self determining own fate, we talk a, a lot of a lot of language or like a lot of the conversation is on black people having like their own resources mm -hmm. and um, owning the means of production and being able to like I don't know like where do we go from there, uh, but essentially like that's where I get mo most of like the self determination rhetoric from is the fact that. Um, we want our own shit mm -hmm. and we want to be in control of our own shit and i don't necessarily i don't i don't even know what what that would even look like especially like globally yeah that's anti-capitalist right? yeah I, I don't know yeah it's <laughs> it's it's something and this is something else he talks about he talks about uh people having an imagination um because it's needed mm -hmm. um uh, especially like a radical uh, uh, imagination uh, and I've heard that phrase and usually like when I hear it like it's irritating because it it, <laughs> it talks about like when people use it they say like let's have radical imagination and then there's a utopia that follows yeah. and like it, it sometimes it's like that's not realistic mm -hmm. um, but we need an imagination to like even um, combat this present day fuckery that we're in. Um, it took imagination to build this fuck shit. Like, none of this, like, it, it, none of this is real. Um, none of this is set in stone. Um, the concept of money, the concept of patriotism, like all these concepts, it's just out of fucking imagination. And they had a radical enough imagination to where they can convince the world, like, you know, black people are inferior and black people deserve to be treated like this like all, all that shit is an imagination but it's made into reality reality and so it goes back to us being like radical and self-determining our own fates um we have to have an imagination and be willing to like operate it and not just voice it um try to make it as tangible as we can it also goes like into like the optimistic part of like my pessimism because mm -hmm. I, I identify as a fucking like i'm an afro pessimist like all day but I think uh, <laughs> what what out of that come, breathes like this certain amount of optimism in, in, in the fact like, you know, there's uh, sky's the limit as to what we can do. Um, and since we're viewed, viewed you know, so negatively, um, there's so much shit we can create. I'm reminded like when I re read this book, uh, the exam that followed after like the assigned reading. Um, my professor 
had wartime propaganda up um, playing um, that they would show to like Negroes, black people. Uh, <laughs> they would show uh, it's this big wartime propaganda where they had like black soldiers uh, being patriots and really like taking up arms and going through like the whole military recruitment processes and drills and whatever and like what it means to fight for your country and be an American and it was important all of this was strategic like America doesn't do anything without like I, I believe without having a strategy to it so I fucking love conspiracy theories because damn right like there is some type of theory that people are operating off of and so having black soldiers in World War One was hella intentional um, because it shows other countries that black people were willing to fight for this country, although they come from like a, this fucked up circumstances of like slavery and fucking like the KKK fucking them up and all types of shit like that. But it shows other countries like America wasn't as bad as, as, as you've read. Um, here you have black people taking up arms for this country and they're fully like included and so we're in other nations and other countries showing like being almost like a fucking like spokesperson for yeah. America in a way um another way in which black labor was like used and it's it's kind of like like for me it's sad <laughs> that the fact that um we're used in in such violent ways not only like are we put out to war but we're all we are propaganda for America and that translates and today we're still our propaganda for America every time we take public office every time we um, come out and defend the harms that this country have caused um, especially like on a national on a national level we're telling the world like we're okay with this we're we still believe in this American exceptionalism we still believe in the, in the universalism of, of America um, and that's my problem with like a lot of black politicians and um, is the fact that people won't just come out and say like what's really real and and they try to couch it and be respectable and it's to the point like we don't have like time to waste mm -hmm. um, especially like with climate change and shit like we need left politics and shit like now um, and so, yeah, I think that it's important, that part. Yeah, it reminds me of, of reparations and how, like, I think the city, how Rom, um, I expect him to use winning reparations for the survivors of the John Birch torture to, as like a, look what I did, I'm so great. And it's like, that yeah. took 40 years of people, like people were tortured. People had to testify over and over and over again and bring up that trauma, like over and over and over again. People yeah. out there saying we charged genocide in the eighties, right? And then we added again, you know, 30 years later. Um, it, there, it wasn't the state or the city doing the right thing. Right. It was the state having to accommodate, right? right because accommodate. we were shutting things down and making people look bad. And that's no representation of inclusion. Like I, don't, I can't think of any wins that represent inclusion. And I don't, I don't. And that's fine, maybe. Yeah. I don't know what this book complicates that for me, but it's happening right now. Like, all these things he's talking about, like they. they yeah, I, I don't think he states anything for inclusion, mm -hmm. but the the idea of inclusion is out there. Mm -hmm. That we're 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 being included more and more. And when in fact we're just being, it's it's more of a comedy. If we, we were yeah. if we were included, then 
shit would totally be different. And yeah, it's it's just we we have to reading books like this, like and I swear to you, like every page is something you can take away. But um, it makes me want to like just go back and get to work and being as vocal as I can and being as loud as I can with my politics because, um, like you said, like these these motherfuckers will take credit for your work and not only will they take credit for your work they're going to like encapsulate it in like this american idea um y'all your fight wouldn't have been possible Mm -hmm. in any other country (laughs) but america (laughs) and so for that you should be happy that you're in this country disregarding the Mm -hmm. fucking reason why we had to fight in the first place and so um yeah, man, people just have to keep on critiquing the system and keep saying fuck the system at all costs because the more we say it, mm-hmm. the more we can organize around it. And I think things will will change, man. People, we have to enter the conversation from a different level. Right now, I think a lot of us are like on the receiving end of the conversation when it comes to race mm-hmm. instead of um, we're defending blackness instead of being pro for it. Okay, so we are about at that time, yes. Um, can you close us out with, again, so the book is Black is a Country. and yeah. Black is a Country, Race and the Unfinished Struggle for Democracy. Perfect. Read it. I definitely am going to order a copy. Um, and can you close us out with a, a quote or a passage that really stuck out to you? It says, in the face of something so big and powerful, how does one begin to respond? The proliferation of cultural and identity politics since the 1970s is often understood today to be a symptom of the profound disorganization of progressive political forces at the national scale. In another sense, however, the disavowal of the nation form of boundary drawing might be the necessary beginning of any future dismantling of invidious uses of race, especially since race and nation have never been very far apart. The history of the long civil rights era has much to teach us on this score. The black intellectual activists of this subaltern counterpublic left behind a rich legacy of radical visions for imagining coalitions and thinking and feeling beyond the nation state. Although many of the most representative among them were male and middle class, invested at times in their own politics of regulation and reputation, the movements they tried to voice were not. The struggles that black advanced during this period were not defined by the closure of an essential identity, culture, or national. They were worldly, heterogeneous, insurgent, participatory, and disorderly in ways we desperately need once more. Against the exclusions of the United States as both a nation and an empire, they remind us of the radical threshold of true democracy the needs and aspirations of an ineluctably differentiated humanity. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Lit Review, a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based organizers. Special shout out to The Lit Review's very own sponsor, the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership out of Kalamazoo College. Keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next Monday, same time, same place. Want to hear about a specific book? Email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. 
And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at litreviewshy. Keep, Keep reading! reading.